0: Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room, the free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA on a Tuesday, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg from the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors here with the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. And on today's show, Steph Curry passes Wilt Chamberlain as the Warriors' all-time leading scorer, and we take a look at the playoff race in the Eastern Conference. But we begin today in Minnesota, where the Timberwolves game against the Brooklyn Nets was postponed following the police shooting of Dante Wright on Sunday night, resulting in protests and heightened security uh, in the area. Now, this is a very serious and important subject, and I implore you to learn more about it, and specifically read those journalists and, who are on the ground there, working for local papers and media outlets, because uh, we are not those people. And so we'll try to focus on the basketball of it all, so uh, as we awkwardly shift here to basketball, the point that I wanted to make today, David, uh, but can't... Uh, was that I wanted to slam Kyrie Irving. I wanted to spend the opening of this show slamming Kyrie Irving for taking in another game off for personal reasons and the media covering the Nets for not doing more reporting around that. And honestly, David, I'm a little ticked off because I was really looking forward to slamming Kyrie. It's one of my favorite things to do on this show. Stephen A. Smith got to slam Kyrie on ESPN because he's on television 24 hours a day. But I didn't get to do it because we had to wait until tonight to record. So I don't get to talk about the fact that Kyrie Irving treats his job... As a star for the title contending Brooklyn Nets, the same way that I treated my college job working at the UCF Student Union, and that's to say by not going. Or, or how he's, playing, he's played in only 38 of Brooklyn's 53 games this season, or how this, this is a supposedly tough New York media that just blissfully stands by and says, Okay, this is completely normal, but we can't talk about that, David. Because they didn't play tonight.
1: Well, look, I mean, it, it's not normal. I, I just don't think uh, any reporter feels that way. I just wonder whether or not the team has just had to make certain allowances for having such uh, high maintenance personalities like Kevin Durant and James Harden alongside with Kyrie. And, you know, to, to Durant's and Harden's credit, they haven't caused any problems there. I don't know how harmonious that locker room is. Maybe it's a good thing, to be honest with you. It just seems like nobody's really upset about it. If the Brooklyn players aren't upset about it and they're still cruising to easy victories and they're second in the Eastern Conference currently, maybe it's not that bad. I mean, maybe we're just, maybe we're hardwired to think, oh, you should show up to work every day. You should try your best. But, you know, maybe for Kyrie. A notoriously finicky personality. Maybe he just doesn't care as much as we want him to about the regular season. And if this was happening in the playoffs, maybe I could I, I could feel a little bit more comfortable about you ripping into Kyrie. But for now, <laughs> is it really that big a deal? I don't know. I mean... It, I, I don't know how... It is a big deal. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if it's necessarily what the
0: Nets should or should not be doing. But it's certainly weird. And I bring it up because he was going to miss Monday Night's game in Minnesota for personal reasons again uh, when... Kevin Durant has just returned, but James Harden is out. This is a team that needs to build chemistry. I don't care. Like, you could do the one-on-one stuff all you want, and it works against most teams. But in the playoffs, you have to assume that chemistry at some point is going to matter. And these ra- they have these rare instances where even two of them are available in the same game. And going into this game in Minnesota, before it was postponed, they were going to have Durant and Kyrie Irving available. James Harden is still out with this hamstring issue, but any formation of chemistry, I feel like, would matter, David. And I, again, whatever. If this is what it takes to have Kyrie Irving on the team, and if you weren't going to be... If going into negotiations, if, if part of the deal and signing him was, hey, if you don't want to play, you just don't have to, and we're not going to raise any alarms about it, then fine. But I do put something on the media that covers Brooklyn. I, I really do. And I don't, I don't do this often, David. You know this. I usually give the benefit of the doubt sure. to our media colleagues, but... Uh, New York media is supposed to be tough, isn't it? Like that's they, They're like, oh, we're the tough media. You, We ask the hard questions. and what It just feels like they're tiptoeing around this thing. They tiptoed around the Kevin Durant, Michael Rappaport stuff. They tiptoed around, uh, and they're tiptoeing around Kyrie. I don't know. Again, bad, good, I don't care. It's just really weird. And as a reporter, if it's really weird, shouldn't you be asking more questions about it and pressing more about it? Because I haven't seen any reason other than... Uh, a given other than personal reasons. And maybe it's a serious personal reason. I don't know. I would like to know.
1: And it seems like there's reporters whose jobs it is to let us know. <laughs> well, it is also Minnesota. Maybe it's just as simple as, you know, he's not really concerned about the upcoming opponent, and he decides why not you know sprinkle some days off in between a, a, a really difficult and compressed season as they're making yes. a late pay- playoff push there. I mean, I, I can't imagine any other thing. Look, you're, I, to your point – as media members we all have to walk a fine line between what we ask of our respective franchises that we cover because a lot of it could lead to burnt bridges and or limited access and things of that sort when you have those kind of temperamental personalities under one roof and when you have a former player uh, and Steve Nash as their head coach and a former player and Sean Marks as their general manager i mean they understand that that line is there, and they're going to manipulate it as well as possible. So I, I understand your concerns. I just don't know that the media members can do much more other than potentially risk the the you know the kind of access that they're used to moving forward. Speaking of Brooklyn, I do want to get to this tweet
0: from David Thorpe of True Hoop from over the weekend. Uh, he said that, quote, thinking about the NBA from a 30,000-foot view this morning, I keep drifting to this. The Lakers are incredible on defense. Can they build a strong offense when everybody is back? Uh, The Nets are incredible on offense. Can they build a strong defense when everybody is back? David, we've been having conversations about who can come out of the West, who can come out of the East, and all these things. But to Thorpe's tweet here, that kind of stuck in my brain a little bit, and I wanted to talk to you about that on the show. Is it really that simple? Is it as simple as... Hey, the Lakers, they're great on defense. If they could start hitting threes on offense in the playoffs, it's a done deal like it was in the bubble last year. The Nets, incredible on offense, even though their players don't like to play together ever. Incredible on offense, but if they could put a a decent enough defense together,
1: it's a done deal. Is it that simple, do you think? I don't think so. I think it's a little overly simplistic. I think that's dismissing the quality of play from some other teams there, I mean, Minnesota, Philadelphia, even Miami in the Eastern Conference could challenge what the Nets are able to do. You look in Los Angeles. I mean, the Clippers are a very good team that can shoot the ball extremely well. Denver's playing at an extremely high level. Phoenix has a chance. I, I think it's a little too dismissive and easy to say. Look, I mean, if you're gun to my head and you're asking me who I think represents both conferences, yeah, it's probably Lakers-Nets. And maybe not even if they make the kind of change that that Thorpe was talking about. But for the most part, though, I I feel like there's so much that still has to happen. And I know there are some concerns from people as the Lakers lost again tonight, whether or not they're going to be able to get past the first round, whether or not they have a difficult play and whether or not LeBron and Anthony Davis achieve that kind of health that that Thorpe was talking about. There are concerns there. So I I think it's too presumptive to just say let's dismiss the rest of the uh, uh, competition and both western and eastern conferences and the hope that maybe you'll get the the most high profile matchup possible in the nba final sure the nba league office would salivate at the prospect of having brooklyn versus los angeles there i just don't know if it's quite so simple as you know making some minor tweaks here and there and dismissing everybody else along the way Are we
0: even sure Kyrie Irving would play in the finals? Like, does he
1: want to? I I don't even...
0: Would he he set that out for personal reasons? I joke only... I'm only half kidding. Um, I think it's both dismissive, but it could also be true at the same time. Uh, But those are also two really big ifs for me, David. uh, And if the Lakers can get this offense going, there's major questions there, right? And look, I'm not sky is falling on the Lakers. Hey, let's really... A lot of people are talking about the Phoenix Suns recently, a lot of yeah. people are like talking about the Denver Nuggets recently, the Utah Jazz have been part of the conversation all season long. Sure. All rightfully so. I do not mean to dismiss them in, in, in dismiss them in any way, but let's also remember that before Anthony Davis and LeBron James got hurt, we were talking about the Lakers as the best team in the NBA, and it's not close, right? And we didn't care that Utah had the best record. We didn't care that Milwaukee for a long time had the best record. It was just it was the Lakers and then everybody else, and we weren't that concerned about the offense. Suddenly LeBron and Anthony Davis are not playing, and we're a little bit more concerned funny how that works but it's a big if if that offense gets going and there are teams like Phoenix and Denver and Utah who have been who are playing as as good as ever if not better in the East whether or not Brooklyn can get a, a defense going uh, is also a big if right so yeah it's simplistic but it, it's not so it's it's sort of like an easier said than done type deal like I do I wouldn't bank on both the Lakers and the Nets figuring out those sides of the balls that they need to figure well, when, out. So. Which is
1: more likely to happen. Brooklyn figuring out their defense. The Lakers, because yeah, we saw sure. it happen. Exactly, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: So. Uh, We'll get to the team that can change things the most in the Eastern Conference playoff race, but first, David, tell them about Locker Room. Well,
1: if you want to get on there and talk about the Lakers' chances, it's the best thing you could possibly do. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room because it's the first social audio platform made for just you, the sports fans. Uh, The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk to other fans, athletes, insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport locker room is a perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on locker room for watch parties, debates like this, post-game breakdowns, and of course reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find other locked-on hosts from across the NBA. So make sure to download the free locker room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Create a profile, link your Twitter account, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms and around your favorite teams. Download the locker room app today. Locker room It's changing the way we talk about sports. And talk about a Game changer. Why not get a, a family owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years with an ever increasing number of makes and models? It's so hard to get all the parts you need, but why bother going to a chain storefront when you have access to computers at home? Go to rockauto.com. Their prices are the same for everybody. You can navigate their easy to use website, get everything delivered directly and safely to your door. So go to auto. rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Then go to their how did you hear about us?" section and enter locked on so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car or truck will ever need that's rockauto.com
0: get all the sports news you need in less than 20 minutes with the new locked on today podcast host peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts follow the locked on today podcast wherever you get podcasts david uh the heat the team that you cover they're playing coy in regards to Victor Oladipo's knee injury. What more can you tell us about what's going on there?
1: You know, you know the Heat, one of the more porous front offices in the NBA, always getting, you know divulging all sorts of trade secrets and information. But uh, as far as Oladipo's knee injury, the latest is we're hearing reports that there's no new injury and that it might be – just a reaction to some pain, some discomfort, and it's hard to quantify whether or not there is in fact a psychological aspect to all this, whether or not there's a heavy, uh, you know, actual physical injury that might be taking place, maybe just a, a, some kind of continuation of the ongoing problems that he's had for a couple of years now where he's only played you know, 87 games over the last three seasons. So right now, we're not sure what's happening. He's not going to be joining Miami as they embarked on a four-game road trip that began Sunday with a win over the Portland Trailblazers. So from that point forward, we're not sure. Right now, he's allowed, at least he has the team's blessing, to go seek other opinions from specialists about the potential injury. And everybody's kind of interpreting it however they want to. I'll give you my two cents on it. I think it's going to be a, a long-term injury. And not only is there the prospect of him coming back here, but on top of all that, there's the threat of making an injury even worse if he decides to return too soon. And he is a free agent. Like The, the market's probably significantly dwindled for a player like Oladipo given his uh, history injury. But overall, when you look at his chances of, of getting money are, are going to be even lessened if he winds up returning to the court too soon and getting injured yet again. Why bother playing? Like, what's the what's the benefit of him joining this team for a prolonged playoff run? And, look, he's viewed as a, a potential, you know, building block, a guy who they could re-sign in the offseason, a guy who can fit in perfectly alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But for Oladipo's perspective, I'm not sure it's worth the risk. I could see him maybe
0: coming back in the playoffs and sort of uh, riding the coattails of maybe a Heat team that makes a push and say, hey, look, I'm playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. Pay me. Right? I could see that maybe being a motivator for him, but you're right. Like, the health should be first and foremost because he's going to have to undergo medicals and, and physicals and all that kind of stuff before he sides with any team. And he needs right. to be in 100% shape before any of that happens because that's the big question with Oladipo. Uh, what did you make of his short stint uh, with with Miami before the injury?
1: Well, you know offensively he was still somewhat inconsistent although he had his best game of the season against the Lakers in a victory for Miami the game in which he got injured he looked like he was energized he was dunking as proficiently as ever his shot was falling Overall though his impact was as we expected to be on the defensive end where he was just breaking up passes another long-limbed body out there on the perimeter to break up passes to challenge uh, ball handlers to you know break up uh, pick and roll situations he was so good at his timing a lot like what Jimmy Butler does as far as being able to read when the pass is going to happen read the next pass that leads to the assist and things of that sort and be able to force a, a, either deflect the ball or force a turnover Their defense has been really, really good of late. Uh, And I thought he was going to bring another element of playmaking as well. We saw his ability to pass the ball, uh, to, you know, occasionally hit shots too. They look like they were going to be, I think, a much better team than what we even saw last year from them in the Orlando bubble. Trevor Reese has been a nice ad- addition as well. Not quite the Jay Crowder role, but something similar in terms of his switchability, the fact that he can guard, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say one through five, but he's a switchable defender. He's long enough, strong enough, and he can still knock down shots from the perimeter on occasion too. So overall, they were looking much better uh, with Oladipo being out of action. Now they have to turn to Kendrick Nunn, and he looked fine in the win over Portland, but moving forward, I'm not sure that he's going to be the solution either because, well, it's Kendrick Nunn. You know, He's had some moments there where he's been really good and then others where he's pretty inconsistent and that shot might not fall. If that doesn't happen for him, then there's not much else that he provides because he's not a playmaker like Oladipo. He's not as strong a defender either. And so uh, you're not getting Oran Dragic back to full strength. You're not adding any other player. Tyler Hero's been okay off the bench, but you also traded away Avery Bradley in order to acquire Oladipo. So your backcourt is suddenly much thinner than you expected it to be. Uh, it's a good point, and and this is a heat
0: team that I think everybody's just sort of been waiting for them to make that push, right? And look, as we as we talk, they're the fifth seed in the East. It's not as if they are out of the playoffs. This is not a Boston Celtics situation. This is who are on a nice little run here, by the way. But uh, we're we've been waiting for Miami to make that kind of push because they were in the NBA Finals. Because we had such high expectations of them, and we thought that maybe the tread deadline would bring what they needed for that push. So, yeah, you mentioned they get a guy like Trevor Ariza. That's helpful. Oladipo, a nice free agent, uh, uh, or going to be a free agent. You get a tryout with him before he becomes a free agent this summer. Uh, We'll see if he does return. Um, But if it is a long-term injury, that could be it. And if you're the Heat, you're not... Maybe you don't get the personnel push that you were hoping, that lift that you were hoping to get to make that push. Do you... I mean, where? Where are you now? Because I look at the Eastern Conference now, and we know what Philadelphia is. We know what Brooklyn is. We know what Milwaukee is. I feel like Charlotte has been right there this entire— like, right where they are. Atlanta is right where they are. Boston is—and New York. I mean, these are all the teams. I feel like we know who they are. We don't expect that much more, right? We're not expecting the Hornets to make a run over this final stretch, especially without LaMelo Ball in there, and get a top-four seed. I don't know how many people believe Atlanta— will hang on to a top-four seed. Boston, like I said, they, they're making a little bit of a push. New York's making a little bit of a push. They've won three straight. Uh, yeah. But um, I don't think that we, anybody's really expecting extended runs for those teams. Miami seems like the team that could really shake things up, right? Again, because they were just there. We've seen them do it, and because they, they do have the top-end talent that you need to make that sort of run. Do you think that they're going to break through and make
1: a run over these next 20 games? It's hard to say. My gut instinct is that... Yes, they will, at least as Eric Spolstra is always fond of saying, start building and trending in the right direction as the playoffs begin. And I think we've seen that of late because their defense has been so good over the last couple months, even right before the trade deadline, they were already trending in the right direction. But they've got two big X factors for me. One that's been a real positive in Duncan Robinson. Ever since the trade deadline passed, his shooting has been phenomenal. And we're starting to see the version of Duncan that we saw last year when he was putting up historically good numbers. He makes Miami's offense so much more lethal. He's such a great weapon to have and what we saw that teams figured a way to challenge him or make things much more difficult for him in the playoffs it made everybody else's job that much easier because of the gravity a player like Robinson has but the beneficiary of that in the playoffs was the other X factor for this team which is Goran Dragic. He's not looked good and I don't know whether or not he has another step to achieve. Last year in the playoffs it was Goran becoming their top scorer. Everybody forgets that because it's only Goran Dragic and he's not really doesn't have the kind of individual accolades that a lot of other key players might have but at the same time he was their top scorer until right before the nba finals when he got hurt and he was a missing piece that they desperately needed when you know they were getting shut down by the lakers offensively so he adds such a huge dimension to this heat team if he's able to somehow muster a couple of weeks maybe a couple of months of some good solid contributions the way he did in the bubble last year then miami has that other level to him yeah. if it's not for that then you're counting on Tyler Hero, you're counting on Kendrick Nunn. I don't know how much you can go with
0: that. You're right. I mean, the the element that Oladipo was supposed to bring was the element that Goran Dragic is supposed to bring when he's healthy, is that drive and kick element that makes shots for the rest of that offense easier. And if is not healthy and Dragic are not healthy, then you're right. You're relying on Duncan Robinson to make six or seven three-pointers a game or whatever it's going to be. You're relying on Tyler Hero to make really tough shots, right? Because Hero's not the guy that drives and kicks and creates for those guys at that kind of level, but he is a guy who can make tough shots, contested jumpers and things like that, so he needs to basically just catch fire the way he did uh, over stretches of the playoffs last year. And I don't know. I guess that's uh, we're back to square one with the Heat. This is the sort of thing that you've just been waiting for all along. When does Tyler Hero catch fire and make a leap? When does Duncan Robinson catch fire and make a leap? Can Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo stay on the court for enough string of games to make a meaningful difference and, and sort of uh, uh, be the backbone of a sort of run, and they just haven't been able to do it. I still think that there's upside there. I still want. I I still think that this team has a tendency to peak at the right time, and so maybe they do that and they make a run. I and I I kind of think they end up with one of the best with one of the top four seeds in the East still. I think the top three are pretty much solidified. Right, we know it's going to be Philly, yeah. Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, and really the only question we have. Milwaukee could make a run, I suppose, but really the only question we have is who's number one Philly or Brooklyn. Yeah. I just don't trust Atlanta's only a half game up over Miami as we talk for the fourth seed. I still want to give it to I, I still, you know, the edge goes has to go to the Heat for that fourth seed.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fair. Uh, that this West Coast road trip I've maintained for the last week has been a defining point of the season, or will be, because they're t- they're taking on Phoenix on Tuesday night before going into Denver on the second night of a back to back, and then wrapping things up if, if basketball resumes the way we expect it to uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves later on this week. So those are three tough games, and they got to come back home take on the Brooklyn Nets, and so it's they. I think a lot of people have said that their strength of schedule has been one of the easiest ones uh, among the playoff contenders, but I don't necessarily buy it. Some of those they've had some they face some tough competition, but they also face some easy you know players here or easy teams here and there. Overall, though, I think they've got a lot of challenges moving forward. So this is their their opportunity. I mean, for the Heat, they have to be able to tie things together. They've been kind of hinting at it all season long that they wanted to prove that they weren't flukes and things of that sort. Now there's chance because if, if you're going to disprove the whole notion that you were a fluke team last year, you're going to have to make a similar push this season as well. And, and look, they were going all in on Oladipo in the hopes that he'd be healthy and contributing and that they could resign him in the, the offseason to build a title contender and for the next couple of years during Jimmy Butler's tenure in Miami now all of a sudden you're kind of back to square one as far as your team building approach too not just for this season but beyond you mentioned
0: the uh heats west coast swing that they're on Uh, it continues tonight against phoenix in phoenix stephen curry passed wilt chamberlain as the warriors all-time leading scorer on monday why we could be seeing a lot less of those types of milestones going forward
1: but first david tell them about bet online well, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, but the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball are all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. Get more analysis on the top
0: prospects available in this year's NBA Draft at the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of the NBA Draft four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts.
1: Uh, Let's get to some of the other scores from around the NBA, David. Julius Randle scored 34 points to lead all scores as the Knicks beat the Lakers 111-96. Alfred Payton helped supplement Randle's scoring as R.J. Barrett's Struggled to score just seven points of the night. The Lakers have gone five and five over the last ten games and are our fifth in the Western Conference standings. Joel Embiid
0: outdueled Luka Doncic and the Mavericks in a 113-95 win for Philadelphia. The MVP candidate scored 36 points to Lucas 32 and carried Philly to their second straight win and a half-game lead over the Nets in the Eastern Conference standings. J.J. Redick went one of seven in his Dallas debut.
1: Orlando dropped their fifth straight game in a blowout loss to the San Antonio Spurs, who are quietly still very much in the playoff picture, despite their recent slide without DeMar DeRozan in the lineup. He led the Spurs with 19 points in a 120-97 victory.
0: Brandon Ingram scored 34 points on 11 of 18 shooting, and Zion Williamson had 30 points on 21 shots to power the Pelicans to a 117-110 win over the Kings who squander a 43-point night from Darren Fox. Bradley
1: Beal put up 34, and Russell Westbrook had another triple-double, of course, as the Wizards shocked the Jazz, winning 125-121, to ending the Utah Jazz 27-game home win streak. Donovan Mitchell missed, finished with 42 points, but Utah's normally strong bench went missing.
0: And Jonas Valanciunas had 26 points in a 101-90 beating of the Chicago Bulls, who are finding it difficult to integrate Nikola Vucevic into their rotation. The Bulls... Are nine games under 500 and slipping further away in the playoff race, the Grizzlies hang on to the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Uh, all right, so on Monday night, the Golden State Warriors, uh, again in their game against the Nuggets, uh, Steph Curry enters that game 19 points away from surpassing Wilt Chamberlain as the Warriors franchise all-time leading scorer, right? And so Wilt did it in about six years in Golden State. Steph Curry did it in about 12 years, but that was all, Wilt was also, that was that one year where he averaged like 50 points a game. That, that was with, with the Warriors franchise, and it's, it's just, it's Wilt Chamberlain numbers. They're insane. You can't judge anything. At the end of the day, though, it was a record that stood for, for almost 60 years, and Steph passed it uh, on Monday night, and he did it all in the first quarter. I mentioned he needed 19 points. He finished the first quarter with 21. He went out there gunning for it. He, you could tell he just wanted it wanted to get it over with. Uh and so look, I think this is something. I mentioned that Steph has been with the Warriors for 12 years. That's kind of a rare thing now in the NBA, right? And and I do wonder uh in in a league where where players, star players are jumping cities and teams seemingly every few years. Does does an accomplishment like Steph's
1: feel that much more special to you, David? It does not. I got to be honest with you. I, I mean, maybe I'm just, uh, I've been comfortable with the idea of player movement for a long time, and so I, I've never been quite as upset of a lot as a lot of fan bases and fans in general are about the idea. I, I understand you want to gravitate towards one player and have them be a defining figure, for the league, but until we start to change the narratives about you know rings defining your success and your individual career uh, being punctuated by championships, uh, you know, which is sometimes a contradictory point of view, then I-, I can't say that it's that big a deal. When you look at the player who has the most uh, uh, the longest tenure with one team in the NBA currently is Udonis Haslam, a player who has not really actually played in about four seasons. And and you know does the does the fact that he's been with the same team for seventeen years matter to you know casual fans around the league? Probably not. Uh, with with Curry doing it, look, I mean, he was hurt for a lot of his, the early part of his career. He has incredible success, incredible individual, game changing, league changing performances along the way. But will he stay there? Does it matter if he stays there for the rest of his career, given everything that he's accomplished right now? I I don't think it's quite as important. I'm sure Warriors fans probably don't want to hear that, but I would be fine with, you know, Steph going somewhere else at the end of his career. (laughs) Um, I
0: think it is cool, though, that in this era of player movement, right? Like James Harden, for example, met so much to Rockets fans, right? Like he was the guy that they so fervently defended for years, and then he jumped ship to Brooklyn. And again, I am not slamming this idea of player movement. I am not anti-player movement. I don't, I, I, I'm, not, I'm I'm. not really interested in having that conversation for right. the 100th time. But uh, it is still cool if you're a Rockets fan, if you get to watch this one dude all the time, who you defend year in and year out, and he's just your guy, and then you're able to watch him sort of ascend up the leaderboards. I mentioned Steph becoming the all-time leading scorer in Warriors history. He was already the all-time leader in assists, already the all-time leader in three-pointers made. Uh, That's a cool thing. And so, David, I think about you and I watching Dwayne Wade matriculate through his career in Miami. And when he became the all time leader in this and this and that, I mean, that was just, those were cool moments for the fans of those teams. And I do feel like these things are kind of special because fans want to have that bond with a player. They want to watch a player grow from a rookie to a veteran to a championship type player to an all time great. Like, that's a special thing. And it's not, And in saying that, I'm not being anti-player movement. I think the two are just mutually exclusive. Player movement is cool. I think it's great for the NBA. LeBron James doing what he did changed the NBA in a good way. Uh, It it made the NBA a -a 12-month-a-year sport as opposed to just a seasonal sport. But what could also be true is that kind of growing up with a player in one market and watching him score his first point to his 18,000th point or whatever— That's just also really cool. And I think the NBA needs some of that too. And so I kind of want to spin this forward, David. When you look at this new generation of superstar, you look at a guy like Giannis, who just signed the extension of Milwaukee. You look like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, who are forming something special in Denver. Luka Doncic in Dallas, who seems committed to being a Maverick. Uh, I do wonder, and these are guys who largely grew up watching Steph Curry, a lot of them, right? Uh, I wonder if those guys kind of grow up and see Steph in the way that some guys grew up and watched Michael Jordan and say, you know what, I want to do that too. If it were up to me, right, it's not just up to them, but if it were up to me, I would stay with one franchise for the rest of my career. I wonder if Steph has a similar impact, uh, you know, spinning this forward half a decade, a decade from
1: now. I don't think you can make the same comparison because it winds up being, you know, he, he's he's had championship success. He was into the finals, what, five times? And so I, I think... You look at that string of success and you have to you know, recognize that he has both the personal hardware and the titles to kind of add to his legacy for players, for other players around the league. And I'm looking at a guy like Dane Lillard, you know, how much longer we've already heard right. how often he wants to retire there. We know he, he wants to be a part of something. Maybe he can't be defined by championships, as he said in the past. It, of course, he wants to win one. We can't question that. But how long before fans start to turn on him and say, maybe we can't win a ring with Dame is our best player, and and if that's the case, will they be happy just being an also ran in the Western Conference for ten seasons of Dame being an excellent MVP type player? I, I don't know. Uh, it's fans want champions. You're very
0: cynical. You are very cynical of fans. Oh,
1: and, and front offices. Yeah, I, I'm not I, saying you're wrong. No, I'm just saying you're very cynical. Yeah, I look. I, I just I think fans want to win at all costs, and sometimes they they don't care if they have to be mercenaries. So yeah, mm-hmm. they want to gravitate towards one player. But I feel like we're starting to see more like. Like a a players like Haslam, where it's like that kind of role player who sticks with a team for a long time, and at least you can kind of gravitate towards that. The days of a a championship level star being with one team for the same amount of time is less and less likely because you want them, because you recognize that they are individually great, but at the same time, you might not be able to win a championship with them as your best player. And so, I think you're going to start to you know to kind of deviate from that idea that your team has to be defined by a star player, because we've seen that change throughout the league in recent years.
0: Well, you mentioned Damian Lillard. It's a good example. I do wonder if Portland is just hipster enough to go against the grain that ultimately things are judged on rings. Uh, another good test case is Bradley Beal, right, who has said publicly he wants to be with the Wizards for his whole career. He wants to have a Steph Curry, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan-like career. Uh, and uh, Washington and, Wizards and great, but, Michael but, Jordan. But the Wizards, Washington, yeah, you're right. Michael Jordan's not a great uh, analog for that, but... Uh, you know the Wizards are really bad, and there's a great argument to be made that they should just trade Bradley Beal and hit the hit the hard reset button. Right, but uh, it's a good it, again, it's a good test case, and, and at least look, it's not up to Bradley Beal. If they want to trade him, they can, uh, but he's so far publicly said, uh, "I want to be here." Um, all right, that'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On NBA wherever you listen to podcasts. Thirty minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me at Locked On Warriors and David over at Locked On Heat.
1: That